Good evening, everybody. If you're joining us, uh, uh, welcome to this Wednesday webcast uh, from the ANF podcast with me, Scott Cassandrini, himself, Al Coates. And our special guest tonight is Fiona Wells. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> we say that now. <laughs> Who knows where <laughs> this conversation is going to go? Well, yeah. I've actually, I, I, I don't know about you, Al, but I've been kind of. I've been kind of looking forward to having this conversation, but not at the same time, if that makes sense. Because I think that, you know, it's something that's not really talked about a lot publicly. Um, and yeah, I feel like I haven't behaved myself as well because it's quite a, a you know, a, a kind of a subject that's not exactly talked about, but equally it's it's quite a, you know, what's it? Yeah. No, I mean, before we get into it, I think it's worth commenting because I think the last time it public was publicly was aired, it led to absolute catastrophe and a real a real furore and in terms of the language that was used and the narratives that were pulled out. Um, but I'm, we're not one to kind of like shy away from that because I think that that was really unhealthy. And I think that that's probably a good place to put in sort of the caveat to all of this that we're discussing is that we're not here to kind of lay the blame at the children who have been adopted's feet. Um, I think we're all really the sort of the 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 borderline, the, not the borderline, the underlying principle is that we understand that the children who are going through the adoption process now are, are the most vulnerable children in society who've experienced um, some of the most complex and challenging circumstances and the impact on their, you know, their sense of self, their, their biology. Um, uh, for this generation of adopted children is probably greater than it's ever been as a cohort mm. so i think that that lays the that lays the groundwork for the conversation which i think was probably going to be a bit more about adoption so if anyone comes <laughs> away thinking well if anyone comes at the end of this and thinks well they just slagged off adopted kids then you are just wrong yeah. that's, well, that's not our Absolutely. intention you know nope. you've got the wrong end of the stick or you're being purposefully stupid <laughs> that's some, that was maybe a bit too harsh but you know what i'm saying um so Fiona, over to you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and you know, what brings you to the, the door of the podcast, as it were? Okay, so I have quite a few hats in this matter. Um, I, I'm adopted, for one, and right. uh, fiercely passionate about being adopted. I love the fact I was adopted. Me and my parents fit together. Like, we clash like... You know, you should clash with your parents and we love as fiercely as you could possibly ever love. Um, I've always been proud of being adopted. I think, you know, where are your real parents? All those questions you get as an adopted person. And it, and I've always had a passion to put people right and say, well, actually, my real parents are the ones who've brought me up, who who have fed me and clothed me and put up with my tantrums and who've, who've been there through all my breakdowns or whatever you want to call them. They're the ones who pick up the phone to me now at my age and are still there. So they're my real parents and I'm my children's real parents, parent, because I have adopted children as well. So I'm fiercely passionate about adoption and I'm fiercely passionate about the the journey it needs to go on. Um, But I've also got the hat of a social worker. So I've been in social work practice or in the arena of social work for, for most of my career. And I'm also passionate about social work. However, a few years ago, when, you know, as families in adoption do, we, we reached a point of, of crisis because 
um, children who've lived through trauma, there's an impact on their emotional development. Um, it's really, really hard to manage. Um, there's an impact on parents who have to manage it. And I felt the support was inadequate. The understanding was inadequate. The, the listening was inadequate. The compassion was non-existent. Um, you know, people flying ideas at you that you that just don't make sense because because they're thrown at you when you you're in sort of fright mode of of, of everything. You know, you parents are going through trauma, so is the child. Um, so I felt really disheartened. I'll be honest at, at the support that I got, which isn't anything. Um, and I felt really angry because. Our children have experienced too much, too much. They are the strongest people, my children particularly, are the strongest people I know. So if the system isn't there to support them survive and thrive and, and reach outcomes, then it's failing them. But it's not me failing them, it's the system. So anyway, this has just gone and on and on and on in my brain and, and I've come across so many parents who've been let down and let down and let down and condemned and blamed and that it just kept going over in my head. Who's, who's talking about this? Who's, who's doing something? Um, who's, who's standing up for these? Now, as a social worker, I've been in, in a social work office and listened to some of the conversations whereby, you know, a family who've reached crisis have come in. And the conversations weren't good to listen to. And I was shocked and walked out of the office. Now, I love those people I was working with. So I know this isn't about them. This is about what's happening from the top down. And there needs to be more education and needs to be more awareness of what our children need to stay afloat and what us as parents need to help them stay afloat. Mm. But we're not magicians. We've not got ones. So we do need help and we do need support, but it needs to be compassionate and it needs to be understanding and it needs to have trauma informed at the root of it. Because most children come to adoption because they've been through something. And if we don't help them get through that, then we're ignoring the real problem. You know, and as an adopted person, you face diversity and adversity because you're adopted, because you question your identity. You know, you question where, where you came from. You know, I, I, I've never met anybody who's biologically related to me, so that was a big deal for me. And it, and it remains a big deal, but actually now that links me with my children because they understand me being adopted and we're very open in this house. Um, so that's it. So, so, and I've been in touch with Al a few times and he knows that it's, it's a... It's been a problem for me. And, and then I just decided, right, I, I've got to bring people together or, or, or shout in a street about it on paper and say, look, what, what can we do? So the document mm -hmm. was brought together. People wanted to contribute. People wanted to have their say. You know, um, we're not blaming anybody. What we want is, is, is better. We want better. We want more positive outcomes. It's not about blame. It's not about being negative. It's not about singling our children out as problems. It, it's about working together to make sure that the 
that there's reform. So the document's been brilliantly successful, in my opinion. I wanted to make ripples and I feel like I'm making mini waves, which for me is, is amazing. Um, but I want to see where it can go from there. So that's my introduction to me. Sorry, a bit long-winded, but anyway, I do waffle. No. No, that's perfect. Uh, Scott, I am aware that I will talk your head off. So yeah, I'm going you you yeah. to let you have I, the first I, I, crack yeah. of it. Thank you. Oh, my days. Oh, you're so <laughs> kind. So um, the first thing is, I, I, it never occurred to me, and then when you're doing your intro there, is is the discussions that may go on within a you know an office of, uh, you know, when people have gone in for help or support or something like that. And, and to think of that, actually, that's that's really kind of, giving me a bit of a check in my head because I'm thinking, wow, okay, because I always assumed that, you know, people would be very kind of empathetic about situation and all that sort of stuff. And, but I, I, in reality, I knew that wouldn't be the case. So you've kind of confirmed that. So that's, that's, I mean, that's quite a worry. If we can't go to people that are going to be empathetic, sympathetic, you know, all that, all empathic, all that sort of stuff, why, why are they even there? And, and that's, for me, I've learned a lot through my career, worked for different local authorities. And I think one of the ways that social workers sometimes survive is through brushing things off and humour, because we deal with a lot of trauma as social yeah. workers. We deal with a lot of ugly things, a lot of horrible things. And I, and I get that, that society is evolving in social work in the sense that it's about strengthening families now more than ever. And I worked for a different local authority. I'm not mentioning any names. And I felt empowered by the way they saw families in a, in a different, not in a better way, but, it, but in a different way. So it was about how can we just, and, and talking about every family, we're not talking about yeah, specific no, no, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And it was more about what can we, what can we do to keep this family from, from disintegrating, for falling apart even more. And there was a different, emphasis but for me it's about training it's about somebody going into a room and saying okay fire questions at me let me tell you what it's like to be a parent of children who are adopted you know I'm the biggest advocate for my kids but they're 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 the they take it out on me now that's that's okay kind of for the most part although it's really hard yeah but I I could do with my shoulders being a little bit bigger from from agencies outside. I asked for for, for support four years ago. I've got nothing. So what are the conversations in the office now with the people who I'm working with, the social workers, where they're talking about my children yeah. while mm -hmm. I'm in crisis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do think it's really it's really interesting because I think that um, one thing I've reflected on from my own experience and, you know, and we've, we've got our own experience of challenge and, and adversity and, you know, really difficult circumstances was that I was really conscious that I was, I knew I was system literate. Um, mm -hmm. and like, and like you are, I know we've, we've chatted a few times now, what I'm really conscious of is, you know, the system, you know, what to anticipate by a meeting, you know, what to expect by a phone call and you know, what's practical yet still it's not forthcoming. And it's it, it's you're still left in this place of real, um, uh, real kind of. It just sometimes it just feels like it compounds the, the adversity. And reading your report, um, which has got uh, just a, the notes in the will be in the show notes. The link to it as well as um in the 
the Facebook, the feed. And one of the things that really struck me was that people finding themselves, having gone through the adoption process where it's all, you know, it's all hobnobs and cups of tea and everyone, you know, it's all lovely. Um, And then all of a sudden a different team of social workers comes in and it, people finding themselves just adrift with that. And what are your reflections on, you know, what people were saying and how people felt by that? I, it, I think people feel, I don't, I try, I'm not trying not to use this word. word. I, th- I think people, I can't think of another word. I think people felt a bit conned. Right. It, which, is an, which is a horrible thing to say, and I don't want that word, I did, but I can't come up with another one. In the sense that, they were offered this this forever family, and they desperately wanted it. Looking at people who adopt, they generally come from a, a trauma of loss through miscarriage, IVF, etc. You know, I, I can only speak for myself. I desperately wanted my children, and, and I still desperately want everything about my children. But you get these meetings with all these professionals and they tell you this, 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 and this, but they have to tone down the bad stuff sometimes to make it more feasible that this is a good idea. And then once the order's in place, it's like everybody's disappeared. Hmm. So like with the agency I went with, I contacted them a couple of years ago and said I'm at crisis. Well, they still know I'm at crisis, but they're nowhere to be seen. Hmm. You know, so... So where is that? Where where is that? Where is that backup? That compassion? That understanding? Now, and that I think that's what I think that's what grabs people. You know, they they desperately wanted. You know, adoption is there, and it's it's grounded in society, and it and these children are pushed uh, put towards adoption to meet with these families, and then everybody's like, okay, off you go then. And it doesn't work like that because we're not looking at relinquished children; we're looking at children who've been through something yeah scott over to you because i've got too many questions honestly i'm my no, head no, is you busy. crack on because um i can i can just tell you i can see you bouncing up and down <laughs> just... well it, it's interesting because i was talking to um i was talking to someone else who there were um, a social work professional who'd sort of managed disruption meetings and she was it was really interesting and she directed me towards the quorum uh, the bath guidance and it and it sort of it, it talks about fa- talks about factors leading to disruption. And I think this was really clear in your report, and I really would recommend people read it. Is it talked about these three components, which was unidentified circumstances, um, often known to people involved, but not sort of drawn together and, and brought into focus for families, or misinterpreted circumstances, or unpredictable circumstances, and all those three sort of things led to people finding themselves. Which, which sort of links into that idea of you know you, as you say con is the is it feels like a there's a judgment it's too big it's too big yeah. it's too horrible it's not it's not the right word but people but, feel conned but yeah but it's not they they haven't used that word and I don't want to use that word but it's like a lot of families I've I've spoken to heard from had contact with have, have talked about how these hidden issues with their children were actually there but not shown. Um, and I can relate to that. You know, I, I, I've figured out a lot more about my children's lives than the social workers who assess the situation in, in the initial periods. You know, even now, last year, I found that information, um, I, I, which I'm not going to go into because it's my child's story, not mine. But 
it's enlightening. You know, if we're not informed appropriately, then how do we manage appropriately? Yeah. You know, you fetal alcohol syndromes is very hard for anybody to determine at such a young age with with adoption. So I get that 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 could be clouded a bit, but it's I think there needs to be more understanding of birth families' lifestyles. You know, um, and I think it's I think it's difficult because there are hidden issues. There are you know substance misuse that you might not know of. There is alcohol use you might not know of. You know we know that there's there's damage in pregnancy now with cannabis, domestic violence. You know there's so many things that can impact on on how that child is going to manage in the world. So if we're more informed and we're more prepared, surely, and we're more supported, surely we can manage better. Well, it's interesting because you say that and my immediately my mind sort of then thinks about issues around preparation of adoptive parents and issues around assessment of parenting capacity. Because I think, is there an element of throwing the dice and hoping the children don't turn out as, you know, impacted as, as yes. they hope and that the parents prove to be resilient and actually i was reading um and i, I don't want to diss that you can adopt advertising but I, one of them was in my my local my RAA, and it said it said you need to be resilient you I know mean, what do you need to prepare for adoption you need to be resilient you go you don't just i don't just pull it off my shelf and <laughs> scott yeah, here we go here's my label yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so, so what are you what would you like to see in terms of i mean the report is really good, but I think that for me, for you, the conversations we've had, it's a springboard. It's not a result. It's not an, an end of itself, is it? It's just, it's a- no, and, and and this is where my, when I get a little break, my mind is focused on on what am I, what am I trying to achieve? Or what, what are the people who contributed trying to achieve? You know, I check in with those people. They've, they've put this document forward. It's not just me. And I have lots of ideas. Um, and I think for, for me as a social worker who's been in safeguarding teams, how do you take a social worker who doesn't understand adoption to deal with an adoption crisis? You know, yeah. where's the learning? Where's the informed practice? Where's the, you know the compassion and the understanding for, for what this family have been through and experienced. Um, so for me, a lot of things have to change from start to finish. Um, and I think with the training that there needs to be, you know, when, when I did prep group, it was a long time ago now, but well, it feels a long time ago. Um, it was good. I enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it. I felt, yes, I'm ready for this within Two weeks of my daughter being home, I was on the phone going, I can't do this. Now, I could. I was just not. I just needed somebody to say, yes, you can. So so for me, that that trauma-informed stuff has to start at prep, has to start before anything. But it doesn't just start for the parents who are going through the adoption process, but it also starts for the children. So it it would take an expert to consider what a child's been through, what we could potentially, and we don't, we don't know, but what could we could potentially foresee in the future, and 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 how best to educate these parents to be 
on how to manage that. Now, if I knew what I knew now, would we be in the situation that we're in now? No, no. But hindsight is wonderful. Mm. So therefore, instead of instead of like me guessing, you know, I think there needs to be a consideration of 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 whether you know whether that could be mapped, whether things could be mapped out earlier. You know, my my experience is my children came with their behaviours. So I, I, we had their behaviours from day one um, and were told to manage it in a cer- certain way. And that set me up to fail. I'll yeah. be honest, we were given really poor advice. And I hold a lot of regret for that. Um, and I feel stupid because I listened to them and actually, they weren't trauma-informed. They were social workers. So let's go back to grassroots. There needs to be trauma-informed specialists throughout, start to finish, back to front, whatever you want to call it, so that we know what we're dealing with. We know how to deal with it. Hmm. You know, you're asking somebody to cook without a chef's knife. It, it's not... It's not rocket science, but with the impact of trauma is there and everybody's ignoring it because actually you've got safeguarding social workers dealing with an adoption crisis. They know, they don't know. They're not trained in, in, in how to manage a crisis because it's not just the children who are suffering in an adoption crisis. The parents are as well, but we haven't caused the trauma. We haven't caused the impact. Yeah. We may have added to the situation, you know, hands up. I'm not perfect. We may have added, we may be in survival mode, we may have secondary trauma, there'll be all sorts of things that we have to take responsibility for. I will do that, I'll take responsibility for my load, you know. But if we're trauma informed and we've got somebody telling us how to work with this child's brain, then we're we we better to, to make steps forward. Yeah. So I suppose that's a big one. That's the biggest. The biggest thing is taking is putting trauma throughout adoption. Yeah. And I think that's quite a, co- a common thing that I'm reading quite a lot now is, you know, this trauma-informed approach rather than, and not just approach, but embedding it within organisations, agencies, you know, especially local authorities, actually, because yes. let's face it, they're the ones that have the legal responsibility for children in care. Absolutely. And if they're not trauma-informed, then we're all, I was going yeah, to use and, that word there, sorry. And this can't <laughs> just be, this should be more than just about adoption, you know, SGOs, mm. fostering. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be embedded into children who've been through trauma. You know, even parents that have, have managed to strengthen themselves and, and retain their children, even though they've had real complex safeguarding issues, they also need help to how to manage to not to fix their children, but to, to bring them to a whole so that they can manage life. Because life isn't easy. So it's not like we're saying, I'll oh, get through your childhood and everything's fine because it doesn't work yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and just going back to the prep course as well, I mean, we could have a competition who's done it further back. I think it might be Al, actually, because he was born in 1915 or something like that. Did it in the last century. Yeah, <laughs> you did, actually. Um, so I'm thinking back to 2006 when we did it, and I'm still unconvinced that it's fit for purpose in terms of, you know, what what even now, speaking to recent people who've been through it, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, they still come out of it feeling that, you know, not all of them, but some of them still come out of it feeling like they're going to be able to change um, the, the experiences that children have had. And, and 
that's not that doesn't happen. We can't do that. We can't we can't undo the damage that has been done um, to to their children, our children, whoever's children. You know, it's it's just it's impossible. Um, I wanted to ask you. I mean, um, we your report has been seen at the DFE. I know that because I was at a meeting and it was discussed. So well done. Thank you. Um, and you know, I know that RAs are looking at it, which is amazing because you know it just takes one person to say have a look at this and and you know it kind of cascades down but i'm thinking back to 2014-15 when julie selwyn's um yes. report came out um and i'm i'm wondering because i i i can't remember where i said this but i did say it somewhere i'm sure i was there he'll probably say it was him but it was definitely me and i wonder about this one third one third one third do you, do you think that that's still the case or do you think that just people may now have the bollocks to be a little bit more honest about their situation and maybe it might be more than a third i think it's more than a third i, mm. I think it's definitely more than a third there the comes a lot of and i'm speaking from experience a lot of shame of not managing a lot of of mm. shame anybody who knows me proper knows me will tell you i carry that that is on blocks on my shoulders. My partner will tell you, my mother will tell you, my friends will tell you, that shame of not being good enough. You know, that's heartbreaking. Mm. You know, that that's heartbreaking. That that destroys me every day. Um, and in a way, because I'm open with myself about that, that's what made me want to press further because there's other people in the same position who aren't gobshites like myself, who aren't, you know, I'm not scared of any repercussions because I'm in crisis anyway, so who cares? Um, you know, I've always been a gobshite and I'll continue being a gobshite. And actually I know loads of people who are going through this worse, just a little bit less and can't have a voice. Mm. It's interesting because um, I have really, I've not been part of this sort of this community just for, just to protect myself, really, just in the sense of emotionally protect myself. Um, and I was, when we were at the DFE, we discussed it. And one of the people was, um, we were just reflecting on it as adoptive parents. And one of them said something that really shook me and um, really um, impacted on me. And I was totally sideswiped by it because I wasn't expecting it. And they said, you know, now that one of their children is older and sort of moved on into young adulthood, she is able to reflect back and realise that she didn't realise how close she was to total crisis mm. for years. That actually she can look back now and, and sort of having had a bit of time where that 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 pressure pot has released, she can she looks down and she thinks, crikey, we were like two or three events away from crisis, like a, a phone call from the school or a phone call from police or, you know, and she said that we. I could see now that we, that it wouldn't have taken very many things to happen. An allegation, which I think is, you know, you talking about safeguarding teams, the amount of allegations that are swirling around this topic from children that are often. I'm not. I don't want to say bogus, but I think that it's a complicated dynamic, isn't it? Because the backdrop to all of this is challenging behaviour, isn't it? There's absolutely you know, violent, aggressive, challenging behaviour, and in that context, all kinds of complicated dynamics come out. I feel like I'm I'm in a word salad now. But um do you think that are you optimistic that we that we can change adoption to make it into something that's fit for purpose yes. given yes. all of that? Yes. And I'm at crisis. 
So if yeah. I can say that, then surely as an adopted person, as a social worker, and an adopted of ch- uh, parent of children who, through no fault of their own, are challenging, who are aggressive, who do display adverse behaviours towards me mainly, only, or each other. You know, I, I totally believe in adoption because adoption means love for me. My parents adopted me and gave me love, unconditional love. Now, I get mad with my kids when they treat me like crap, but that love is there. So if I've got it and my parents have got it, then then adoption can live, can't it? You know, because there's lots of love in adoption. But if we have better information, we have better support, we have evolution, as I keep focusing on, because it's not about looking back and saying, oh, this was awful, this was awful. It's about bringing it forward and saying, actually, the world's changed. Adoption can't be what it was. We need to move it on. And to move it on, we need to sit down and put our heads together and say, right, what can we do better? What can we, as, as a, as a you know, whoever we are, whoever's listening to this document, put, put something together and say, what can we do better? You know, I've got a list. So if anybody wants some ideas, I, I, I can volunteer them. And I'm hoping to volunteer them and with Al's help and, and Scott's and, and whoever else wants to help. Because these ideas bridge to other ideas and other people have ideas. And, and actually, adoption needs to stay. It does. There's a place for it. Okay, maybe not as much as there used to be or, or whatever way you want to look at it. But adoption means love. That That's it. It's simple. You know, I absolutely love my children. They're, they're, that isn't that isn't isn't going to go away just because they're they're horrible to me. I get why they're horrible. Like they have a right to be horrible. Do you know what they have a they have a right to be supported to stay in my care mm-hmm. because that's yeah. their life, mm-hmm. and I'm the best person for those children. So why shouldn't I get the support to make sure I can continue? giving them love and receiving their love because we love each other fiercely. And I was just going to say, I don't think there's, I mean, I very rarely speak to parents who say that they regret having children through adoption. I mean, I'm certainly not one of those people. And by God, you know, we've had some crackers and it's funny what I was talking about there because you know um, my oldest Fraser he doesn't live with us anymore he moved out when he was just just over the age of 18 and it was a relief that he did and that conversation that, that we had last week at the um, in that meeting that really rings true to me because I think we were in a very similar position because he was getting to that adult stage um, but he wasn't quite an adult yet do you know that kind of way so it was kind of pushing towards that um, so but I it's rare if ever I've come across somebody who said, yeah, I regret doing, I regret doing that. I, you know, I, I don't love my children. I think we all really do love our children because otherwise we wouldn't be here, you know, doing doing whatever it is we do and advocating for them. Um, Mm -hmm. So you just said there about, um, you know, you've got lots of stuff to, (laughs) lots of stuff. (laughs) What, 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 what is your plan with this? I mean, where where is it going to go? What are you going to do? How are you going to, you know. Well, Al and I have a few meetings up our sleeve, don't we? Eat me out of it. Okay. It's nothing nothing to do with me. 
Listen, if you get well, involved with Al, that's it for life, Fiona. I'm sorry. Well, but, uh, you, you well I've got a few meetings, but and Al's <laughs> going to try and keep me in line. Is that a better way of putting it? I'm just holding your bag. No, well, I think maybe <laughs> pulling my hair so I don't become a bit more of a gobshite. Because um, <laughs> for me, we, we can only talk about this in an honest way. Yeah. Um, you know, I still want to be a social worker and I still want support for my children, but this is a big passion of mine is, is driving this forward. But it's not just driving it forward in post-adoption support. It's driving it forward in safeguarding. It's driving it forward in, you know, in, in you know, I've got lots of ideas. I don't know if you want me to go through them or, or leave that no, for keep a that keep your powder dry because people yeah. steal them. So, yeah. I'd talk just, about it now, but, you know. It's the move away from leaving us stranded, blaming yeah. us, and looking at, you know, trauma that, that that's it I want to, to have as many meetings as possible with people who are going to listen and hear us and realize this is a real problem and that needs to be changed can't be changed in five years and I, I don't I'm not expecting change for my kids but yeah. I'm expecting change for the next generation or you know or I don't know but but there needs to be you know we've still got the same policies in place when children were still being relinquished and yeah and adopted we're not that society anymore mm-hmm. I, i'm sort of encouraged because i think that often adoption for a whole host of reasons we are sort of the tip of the spear in some ways because we we have that sort of we can often say we can look at the the issues and go well we, we are not the originators of this issue but we are the people who are going to we are going to try and fix it. But I think that the learning that we do in terms of this is applicable to the 170,000 children who are in kinship arrangements. Who are yeah, probably, absolutely. And then the then we look at children with SEN, you know, complex mm-hmm. needs, who are families, like you said, that that idea that families, families are not necessarily the originators of children's behaviour, but are often responding to it. And we you get these kind of these spirals that social workers step into and instinctively see a parenting deficiency and i think that if we can arrest that or bring a different sort of model of working with families from this then freaking awesome yeah and i emailed somebody the other week and i said tell me how to be a better parent you know um tell me how to do this better i want to put brain-based parenting into my everyday life you know and, and and I'm desperate to do it because we're in crisis and I, I need to change to make sure that my children can then change their behaviour. And the person emailed me back and said, slow down. You you can't do everything yourself. And that's yeah. what I feel I'm doing. Because picking up the phone and getting somebody to come out and say, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with this. I can't do that. You know, nobody's listening. Four years post-adoption support and they've done nothing. And it's not the social workers' fault that there's, there's nothing happened. You know, there's, there is, we all know there's a lack of resources. I don't blame any person for any of what I'm going through. I don't blame me. I don't blame my children. I don't blame the local authority, but it needs to be better. And it's not mm. about blame. It's about moving forward and making progress. I, I, I'm not one for sitting in the negative and saying, oh, well, you know, this is awful. Yeah, mm. right, right. Okay, let's move on. Let's make progress. Let's make change. Let's yeah. make it better for the future children who, who you know, have, have and I, you know, child protection, social work, safeguarding, social work. I've removed kids 
I've seen where they've come from. Trust me, it's no, it's no pretty picture. You know, and, and like with kinship care, you can you can have a child placed with a, a family member and, and then there's disclosures. You know, who's picking up those trauma pieces? Yeah. You know, if we can step into a, a, a level of picking up those trauma pieces faster and putting the jigsaw together faster and, and, and coming out with a therapeutic trauma-related plan that suits the child and helps the child. It's not perfection. It's not a magic wand. It's it's arming the parents with the skills and the tools and the respite to be able to go, right, okay, I can manage this. Mm. So that the child and the parent can work together to have the best that they can. You've just mentioned that a really mm. interesting word there, respite, because I've heard that mentioned a couple of times over the last couple of months in terms of this um, kind of belief that once you become a parent through adoption, that actually you're just a parent. So therefore, you should be able to deal with whatever's thrown at you and all the rest of it. Okay. Um, and I get that to a point. But my point to mention that is because um, actually, you're still, you're in that, you're parenting trauma, you're dealing with trauma day in, day out. And if you can't, you know, if you can't get a break from that, whether that's, I don't know whoever that is. <laughs> I don't know who it is who's doing the rest, but but anyway. But um, some agencies actually do a lot of training with friends and family to be able to provide that as part of kind of the, you know. And when I talk, say agencies, I'm talking about voluntary agencies. I, I'm, I've mm. never heard of it in a in a in a kind of a statutory agency. So we'll just say, for the sake of an argument, it's within a voluntary agency, and they do that, and that works really well because they are so aware of the issues that are coming with that child, and what it's going to be like to parent that child from the off, so that they get on 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 side with that. Do you think that's maybe something that you know these agencies should be, you know, uh, it's thinking on my, about? It's on my list. <laughs> uh, educating. Educating friends and family is massive, mm. but it needs to be done formally. It needs yeah. to be done by professionals yeah. because actually, and, and I, I suppose mm. I'm a little bit fortunate. Um, my support network is mainly still here, but a lot of friends, a lot of people have lost friends, have lost family members because yeah. they don't understand. Absolutely. So for me, there needs to be that education at day one. So say for a family group conferencing where you bring everybody together and you say, right, this is what this mum and dad who are taking or dad and dad or whoever are taking on. This is what they could deal with in the future. So, we, you know, we're going to teach you about trauma. We're going to teach you about the impact of trauma. We're going to teach you about the impact of trauma on parents. Yeah. So who's going to come along on a Tuesday night and it's eight o'clock and, you know, Billy Joe's kicking the crap out of whatever and he's not going to bed or, you know, who's going to come along and say, right, I'll yeah. take him up for the night. Because that behaviour is not going to be at you. That behaviour is at mum and dad or whoever that's yeah. their main their main carer. Yeah. So I think that's massive. It's bringing that support network into the focus of adoption. Yeah. If I couldn't ring a friend of mine, I wouldn't still be managing this. Mm. You know, um, if I couldn't send my kids to my parents, I wouldn't be here managing this at the very basic level that managing is. You know, mm. and that we need to see that. We need to embrace it and we need to educate family and friends so they don't wander off during the during the years of trauma. Yeah. We should we should make you the adoption czar. That's what we should do. 
Um, if there was still a if there was still a job, we would get if you a, still a position. And, yeah, yeah. If there was still a job, we'd we'd put you forwards for the head of the leadership board because I think that you 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 inhabit this really peculiar space as a parent, yeah. um, as a you know a experienced social worker and as a, a an adoptee yourself. Uh, I think that that you just kind of no one can come at you and say yeah but because you can go and go yeah not really I well, know what I'm talking you know, about I've got other hats that I'm not mentioning either you know like I'm dyslexic so I struggled with education you know um I came into education late because I couldn't learn in school you know there's lots of different hats we all have and actually mm. if you put that forward I I can relate to why my kids are kicking off I kicked off when I was 14 because I didn't know who I was you know there's so many different things but it, the fundamentals are there. We we love our kids. So Yeah. And I'm prepared to fight, not for just my kids, but for the kids that that and you know, sadly, whatever happens, you know, kids end up being adopted because of a really significant loss, grief, trauma, yeah. abuse. And we need to be stronger to pick up those pieces because it's no perfect picture. You know, I, I I'm struggling like in my own life with my own kids and, and, you know, I've ended up divorced from the dad that we adopt, you know, adopted with me and, and it, and I'm still here and I, and I, and I still believe in it. So if I can still believe in it, then, then so can other people, but it needs to change. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not fair. And I think that's probably from my point of view, why I'm, really happy to talk to you because I feel like that you've got an incredibly forward facing view that it's, it's so often easy to get into sort of a trying to oh, not, a, not a portion blame. That's, that's maybe your mischaracterization, but right. What's happened happened. How do we absolutely, what can we do to make sure it doesn't happen again, or we can get ourselves out of this situation, which I think is a wholly positive message. I would encourage people to really take a look at this um, report again, warning people that it's, if you're struggling, it might be quite a difficult uh, read, but, you know, and also, um, is there a way that people can perhaps get in touch with you? I've, I've just totally sprung this on you and people can email us and um, yeah, um, at the ANF podcast and we can maybe direct people towards you. Um, I'll give you an email that you can use. Um, excellent. If you want to get in contact with me, I'll, I'll give it to you later so that you can use that. All right, cool. But, yeah, we'll I'm put happy that in the to hear from, yeah. from, more, from more people. Um, but it, but I, it's not about the negativity. It's about what what we don't get me wrong. I still you know still want to hear from you if you want to be negative. But it's it's how do we move this forward? How how is this a learning experience for the people who can promote this this change? You know, um, it's it's critical that changes are made because it's just it, it's inadequate and it's incompetent at the moment and. You know, I don't like using big words like that, but it's true. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, so just before we go, we've had one comment and as expected, it was from it's from our friend June Lee, who we've invited on many times to come and talk about this and other subjects. Um, the tools are available, perhaps members of the ARG, meaning me and Al, because obviously we are members of the ARG. I think that's a sarcastic dig. Could ask the ARG when or if they will put the funding into using a neurosequential model of therapeutics to openly map children's trauma history that should then re- be reviewed every few years. Well, we'll certainly put that to them. Um, we've got 
got it in right from you and we'll, we'll, we'll pop that in on, their, on your behalf, June. So uh, we've yeah. got no problems doing that. You can always email us as well. And as ever, you have been invited on. And if you'd like to take us up on that offer, then come on and have a chat yeah. and, and ignore whatever happened on Twitter five years ago when it was 140 characters and, you know, everybody got upset. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> So you should be a diplomat, Scott. Honestly, you've got a real flair for it. I, I, just, I just, well, yeah, I should. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I could go to Russia, couldn't I, with that sort of um, attitude? You, you, can, um, you can. Listen, Fiona, I, I, no, I couldn't. Um, Fiona, thank you so much for coming on. It's been, I, I mean, I've dipped in and out of the report because that's how I deal with reading things yeah. like that. Um, I think everybody's different, but it does, it does really hit home. So thank you so much um, for coming on and, and kind of discussing the issue rather than the report or you know anything else um and yeah we'd love to have you back on when when you're maybe a bit further down the line and, and see how things are going yeah definitely um, i think that you know it's definitely something that we need to just keep on talking about really isn't it yeah definitely absolutely yes yeah, yeah thank you so much for coming on and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening thanks very much both of you take oh, care bye. No worries. You too. bye